Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, February 15th episode. That's episode uh, 168, I believe, 168 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcasts out there at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Um, you can actually finally find me out there. It's taken them a little bit. Um, I don't say that in complaint. I know how busy they are, but you can actually go find all my episodes out there as well in their archives. Um, and so my, my stuff is going to be published out there daily as well now. So, um, and I would definitely recommend, Oh, please go out there. There, there are so many great podcasts out there. Um, I believe it's over 40. I think it's pushing for 50 different podcasts out there. Um, covering the realm of Christian thought and it's just, and, and Christian living, um, apologetics, Christian theology. I mean, you name it, shoot, there's even one out there on podcasting. So, um, definitely worth, worth your time. It's definitely good content. Um, like I told you, like I've said before, I've, I've got four different ones out there that I listen to right now, um, from my brothers. Um, but there are brothers and sisters out there in Christ that, that are just doing such good work and, I would definitely recommend you go out there and honestly, you find somebody out there you want to listen to other than me. I'm okay with that. Um, I, I would totally understand that. So I, I won't take any offense at that in any way, shape or form. Not that I would know, but really, um, it's great content out there. Um, oh, I want to remind you about the, um, final link in the show notes. Sorry, I went blank there for a minute. The final link in our show notes that is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to get our, to rapidly get our mortgage paid off so that we can, um, commence work on establishing a Christian classic education based school to provide an alternative within our community for the parents and grandparents in the area for educating their children and being, feeling like they can send their children to a trustworthy place, a place where they feel safe sending their kids. So we're looking to try to develop that. So, um, you know, again, click that link, go read about it. Um, it's a much better description than I've just given, given you. Then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving, and we would ask you to pass the link on to other people so that they can do the same thing. All right. Um, and I will let you know, we, I'm, I'm going to declare us safe. Like you see on Facebook all the time, I'm going to declare us safe, at least right now from the nitric acid cloud. We are, it's gone totally national, national, um, had a truck flip over with nitric acid in it. And, uh, we've been, our area has been put in some cases on a lockdown and a, and a, um, shelter in place order. Um, cause when it went down, wind was blowing from it into our area. So we're safe. Um, we've got heat turned off and everything else that would suck air in from the outside and all the windows closed. So we're safe. But so I, I'm flagging us and marking us safe from the nitric acid cloud, at least for the moment. So <laughs> let's hope it stays that way. 
All right, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to continue on in our reading, um, reading through the Bible in a year here with the new Bible reading plan. I realized, I just realized I really need to update the trailer. I was listening to it this morning and um, I did it last year when I was doing McShane's reading plan and I probably need to update my trailer. So I know I'm a little behind, but I'll get to it. Um, but let's go ahead and let's open up like we always do Wednesday mornings with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, and the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, now our Spurgeon's Morning and evening, the morning devotion for February 15th. The text is 2 Peter 3.18. To him be glory both now and forever. Heaven will be full of the ceaseless praises of Jesus. Eternity, thine unnumbered years, shall speed their everlasting course. But forever and forever, to him be glory. Is he not a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? To him be glory. Is he not king forever? King of kings and Lord of lords, the everlasting Father. To him be glory forever. Never shall his praises cease. That which was bought with blood deserves to last while immortality endures. The glory of the cross must never be eclipsed. The luster of the grave and of the resurrection must never be dimmed. O Jesus, thou shalt be praised forever, long as immortal spirits live, long as the Father's throne endures, forever, forever, unto thee shall be glory. Believer, you are anticipating the time when you shall join the saints above and ascribing all glory to Jesus. But are you glorifying him now? The apostles' words are, To him be glory both now and forever. Will you not this day make it your prayer? Lord, help me to glorify thee. I am poor. Help me to glorify thee by contentment. I am sick. Help me to give thee honor by patience. I have talents. Help me to extol thee by spending them for thee. I have time. Lord, help me to redeem it, that I may serve thee. I have a heart to feel. Lord, let that heart feel no love but thine, and glow with no flame but affection for thee. I have a head to think. Lord, help me to think of thee and for thee. Thou hast put me in this world for something. Lord, show me what this is, and help me to work out my life purpose. I cannot do much, but as the widow excuse me, put in her two mites, which were all her living, so, Lord, I cast my time in eternity too into thy treasury. I am all thine. Take me and enable me to glorify thee now 
in all that I say, in all that I do, and with all that I have. All right. And now our reading, we're going to be reading Exodus 39 and 40, and then we're going to be starting in the book of Mark and then into Solomon Proverbs. So Exodus 39. Moreover, from the blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments, which were for Aaron, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. The work, sorry, of a skillful designer. They made joining shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was joined at its two upper ends. The skillfully woven band which was on it was like its workmanship of the same material, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones, set all aground in filigree settings of gold. They were engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he placed them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He made the breastpiece, the work of a skillful designer, like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen. It was square. They made the breastpiece, having been folded double, a span long and a span wide, when folded double. And they mounted four rows of stones on it. The first row was a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. And the second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a hyacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were set in their filigree settings with gold filigree. The stones were corresponding to the names of the sons of Israel. They were twelve corresponding to their names, engraved with the engravings of a signet, each with its name for the twelve tribes. They made on the breastpiece chains of a twisted work of cords in pure gold. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. Then they put the two gold cords in the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. They put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. They made two gold rings and placed them on the two ends of the breastpiece on its inner edge, which was next to the ephod. Furthermore, they made two gold rings and placed them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod on the front of it, close to the place where it joined, above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. They bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it would be on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece would not come loose from the ephod just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he made the robe of the ephod of woven work entirely of blue and the opening of the robe was at the top in the center as the opening of a coat of mail with a binding all around its opening so that it would not be torn. They made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material and twisted linen on the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around on the hem of the robe, alternating a bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe for the ministry, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. They made the tunics of finely woven linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen and the headdresses of the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twisted linen and the sash of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material, the work of the weaver, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. 
they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it with engraved writings as found on a signet, holy to Yahweh. They fastened a blue cord to it to fasten it on the turban above, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Thus all the service of... <sighs> Thus all the service of constructing the tabernacle... At of the, the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed and the sons of Israel did according to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses. So they did. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars and its pillars and its bases and the covering of ram skins dyed red and the covering of porpoise skins and the screening veil, the ark of the testimony and its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils and the bread of the presence the pure gold lampstand with its arrangement of lamps and all its utensils and the oil for the light and the gold star and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the veil for the doorway of the tent the bronze altar and its bronze grating its poles and all its utensils the laver and its stand the hangings for the court its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court its cords and its pegs and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting the woven garments for ministering in the holy place and the holy garments for aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priest thus according to all that yahweh had commanded moses so the sons of israel did in all their service and moses saw all the work and behold they had done it just as yahweh had commanded so they had done then moses blessed them exodus 40 then yahweh spoke to moses saying on the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange what belongs on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gateway of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and set it apart as holy, and all its furnishings, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and set the altar apart as holy, and the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its stand, and set it apart as holy. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, and anoint him, and set him apart as holy, that he may minister as a priest to me. You shall bring his sons, and put tunics on them, and you shall anoint them, even as you have anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me, and their anointing will be for them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did, according to all that Yahweh had commanded him, so he did. Now it happened in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its bases, and set up its boards, and inserted its bars, and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle, and placed the covering of the tent on top of it, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony, and put it into the ark, and attached the poles to the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and placed the veil of the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. 
Then he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread and order on it before Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned fragrant incense on it, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the screen at the doorway of the tabernacle. He placed the altar of burnt offerings before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and he offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and he put up the screen for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had dwelt on it, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Now throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. All right, I need some coffee here. All right, we're going to read Mark 1. Verses 1 through 28. <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> and all the region of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and was eating locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now it happened that in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and went away to follow him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching. 
for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were arguing among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. All right. And now Psalm 35, verses 1 through 16. Of David. Contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and large shield, and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those who devise evil against me be turned back and humiliated. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of Yahweh driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of Yahweh pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction which he does not know come upon him and let the net which he hid catch him. Let him fall into it in destruction. And my soul shall rejoice in Yahweh. It shall be joyful in his salvation. All my bones will say, Yahweh, who is like you, who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up, who ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. It is bereavement to my soul, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I walked about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning, as one who sorrows for a mother. But as my stumbling, but at my stumbling they were glad and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They tore at me and never were silent. Amongst the godless gestures, jesters at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. And finally, Proverbs 9, verses 11 and 12. For by me your days will become many, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. All right, and that is our reading for this morning. Um, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this time has been edifying for you. Um, I hope you have a go off out and have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. The one we're going to close this with from Valley of Vision is called the deeps. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. Give me a deeper trust that I may lose myself to find myself in thee, the ground of my rest, the spring of my being. Give me a deeper knowledge of thyself as Savior, Master, Lord, and King. Give me deeper power in private prayer, more sweetness in thy word, more steadfast grip on its truth. Give me deeper holiness in speech, thought, action, and let me not seek moral virtue apart from thee. 
Plow deep in me, great Lord, heavenly husbandman, that my being may be a tilled field, the roots of grace spreading far and wide, until thou alone art seen in me. Thy beauty golden like summer harvest, thy fruitfulness as autumn plenty. I have no master but thee, no law but thy will, no delight but thyself, no wealth but that thou givest, no good but that thou blessest, no peace but that thou bestowest. I am nothing but that thou makest me. I have nothing but that I receive from thee. I can be nothing but that grace adorns me. Quarry me deep, dear Lord, and then fill me to overflowing with living water. Amen. All right. Again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the uh, Wednesday, February 15th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That's episode 168, episode 168. Um, I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, Again, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can go find our podcasts over at podcasts, that's with an S, dot strivingforeternity.org, and I would definitely recommend you do so. Um, We are going to continue on in our study in the Gospel of John today. Um, Let's see, I've told you everything else I usually need to do in the morning segment. I think I'm going to stop duplicating that, Um, but I thank you for coming along with with me for the time this evening. Um, I, I would pray that this time is edifying for you and that you and I both um, are fed, are fed by the word of God. All right, so let's go ahead and we're going to go ahead and open up with um, a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Kept by God. Let's pray. Jehovah God, thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things. I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, grace. Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is this discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fear. Allure me into thy presence, help me to bewail and confess my sins. When I review my past guilt and am conscious of my present unworthiness, I tremble to come to thee. I whose foundation is in the dust, I who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthy of eternal death. But my recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. I can destroy but cannot save myself. Yet thou hast laid help on one that is mighty. For there is mercy with thee, and exceeding riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world. Bear up heart and mind in loss of comforts. Enliven me in the valley of death. Work in me the image of the heavenly. And give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality, such as angels and departed saints know. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 15th. The text is Psalm 45.8 whereby they have made thee glad. And who are thus privileged to make the Savior glad? His church, his people, but is it possible? He makes us glad, but how can we make him glad? By our love. 
Ah, we think it is so cold, so faint, and so indeed we must sorrowfully confess it to be. But it is very sweet to Christ. Hear his own eulogy of that love in the golden canticle. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse! How much better is thy love than wine! See, loving heart, how he delights in you! When you lean your head on his bosom, you not only receive, but you give him joy. When you gaze with love upon his all-glorious face, you not only obtain comfort, but impart delight. Our praise, too, gives him joy, not the song of the lips alone, but the melody of the heart's deep gratitude. Our gifts, too, are very pleasant to him. He loves to see us lay our time, our talents, our substance upon the altar, not for the value of what we give, but for the sake of the motive from which the gift springs. To him the lowly offerings of his saints are more acceptable than the thousands of gold and silver. Holiness is like frankincense and myrrh to him. Forgive your enemy, and you make Christ glad. Distribute of your substance to the poor, and he rejoices. Be the means of saving souls, and you give him to see of the travail of his soul. Proclaim his gospel, and you are a sweet savor unto him. Go among the ignorant and lift up the cross, and you have given him honor. It is in your power even now to break the alabaster box and pour the precious oil of joy upon his head, as did the woman of old, whose memorial is to this day set forth wherever the gospel is preached. Will you be backward then? Will you not perform your beloved, or sorry, will you not perfume your beloved Lord with the myrrh and aloes and cassia of your heart's praise? Yes, ye ivory palaces, ye shall hear the songs of the saints. All right. Well, we are continuing on in our study of um, John chapter six. Uh, we were we've been working through um, a section that followed on the feeding of the five thousand that showed us the responses of true and false disciples. And we've dealt with the true, true disciples um, uh, on a previous two nights. And then last night we started the section on the false disciples and we dealt with um, the miracle, the, the, uh, the supernatural sign. And now we're going to deal with the response of the false disciples. So let me go ahead and read the text first, and I'm going to read the totality of this section on the false disciples. So I'm starting in John 6 verse 22 and i'm going to read through to verse 29 on the next day the crowd which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples had gone away alone other small boats came from tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the lord had given thanks so when the crowd saw that jesus was not was not there nor his disciples they themselves got into the small boats and came to capernaum seeking jesus and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What should we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. All right, those are our verses for today. And actually, it's only verses 25 through 29. So the second half of that, well, the second two-thirds of that. But so, you know, we, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000. And we saw how fickle the crowd was and how faithless the disciples were, the, the 12 were. But then we saw here, after Jesus had 
sent the disciples, sent the apostles, the 12 away, sent them back across to Capernaum and had dispersed the crowd. Um, we saw the storm come up. We saw them crossing the sea and going head on into a storm. Um, <clears throat> and Jesus come walking out of the storm to them and terrifying them. But then he said, I am who I am. You know, uh, what, a, what an, what an amazing statement he made, you know, he said, um, and he actually, the way it translated in the English is it is I, but it is basically, I am, I am, do not be afraid. It's ego aimi. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, but we even see more so that they worshiped him. We even see Peter get so wound up that he wants to climb out of the boat to walk to Jesus. And Jesus said, come. And he walks on the water. Jesus is setting aside the things of the world and they're ecstatic. But Peter lets the waves and the wind upset him a little bit and he starts to drop in. And we see Jesus, you know, say, oh, you have little faith, you know, and pulls him back up. But he gets them both into the boat. And here in John, even it says, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. He removed the barriers. He removed um, that which was holding them back, the wind and the waves. Like he does with us in our life when we turn to him. I mean, they did. He came to them. He told them it was going to be okay, that it was him and they were okay. You know, it was him. Don't be afraid. And so they weren't, they welcomed him into the boat. They worshiped, but then we see, you know, uh, and we talked about it last night on that next day, you know, that, that next morning crowd starts looking around the, whoever's left of that crowd that didn't completely disperse or dispersed a little ways away and came back. They start looking around for Jesus. They start looking around for Jesus and they know that because the disciples were sent away, the 12 were sent away. And I'm sorry, I, I need to clarify that because of what we're talking about. The 12 were sent away. And so, so let me clarify again. So everybody here are disciples at this point. Okay. Um, not just because the people who weren't left disciples are learners. These people have been following him and he's been teaching them. Therefore they are learners. Okay. Whether they're willing learners or not, or whether they care about learning or not, they're learners. Therefore they're disciples. Okay. So everybody's a disciple here. So I, I guess I need to be clear. We're talking the 12 apostles. They know those 12 apostles were put in a boat by Jesus and were sent across to Capernaum without him. They also know there were no other boats there for him to get into and that he didn't get into it yet. And then that he went off into the hills yet. They can't find him They're They're searching around again to find him. And please don't think, I mean, it, it's, We've got, we've got to keep our eye on the fact. It's the fact that if we're not careful, we take these little groups of text and we take them in isolation and then we go, oh, well, they must be looking for him because they want to be taught more. No, no, no. We, we, we have to remember the character of this crowd. Um, and, and like, um, and I remember I, I mentioned it last night, but I mentioned it, you know, a number of nights ago. Um, and I don't remember, I think it was RC Sproul, but it might've been MacArthur or somebody else that, that made the statement that this crowd was the Galilean, you know, the Galilean um, version of what was going on in J Judea and John two, 
verses 23 through 25, where it said, you know, many believed because of the signs he was doing, but he knew the hearts of men and he didn't trust himself to them because he knew they weren't really coming to a saving faith in Christ. That This was not a saving belief. It, it was a, Ooh, these are really cool. These are really cool. Um, you know, uh, miracles and Hey, we, we see him doing all this cool stuff and Hey, we want to see more. That's what it was. Well, that's what these folks are doing. We got to look at that character across all of, all of chapter six. So even by the time we hit here and we're, we're nowhere near, we're not even halfway through chapter six yet by this point, but already we know the, the character of this crowd, how fickle they are and how self-focused they are, that they're all about them and what can be done for them. So they're not looking for Jesus to be taught more, to be saved. They're looking for a handout. They're looking for a free breakfast. They, they're, they're, they're looking to go down to Denny's and Denny's to give them, give them a free pancake breakfast or something. Um, you know, and we, we see that in, in our verses today. We see that in verse 26. We see that very clearly. But again, we've got that fickle crowd. They don't find him. Um, eventually some other boats we saw, um, verse 23, John six twenty-three. um, it talks about other small boats came from Tiberias. And we talked about it, that. We, we really don't know whether, um, these were, you know, family members that came to pick them up. These were people that had had to come this way to try to get away from the storm in the night during the night before, or whether it was opportunists coming from Tiberias to try to make a little bit of money, you know, Hey, maybe I go rent my boat out today to haul people back and forth. And I make more money than I did fishing you know, maybe, and the fish will still be there. I'll get them tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. So whatever it was, these people then hop in boats and they head across to Capernaum. Now I, I'm pretty sure that there were at least enough there of the crowd. I mean, I don't think I'm making a stretch there that, well, one, they knew that that's where Jesus had kind of set up his home base in Galilee was Capernaum anyways. And everybody knew it by this point, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody heard him telling the the 12 apostles, go there, go to Capernaum. So they knew, hey, we can't find him here. And we know he's supposed to meet his, his apostles over there. So let's go there. So they go and they get there. And so we've got verses 25 through 29. I'm going to go ahead and read them again. And when they had found him on the other side of the seas, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, the father God set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, what should we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, again, they, they, they find him. So again, verse 25, they found him on the other side of the sea. So they found him in Capernaum and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now I, I can, I, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of an inane question. Obviously he got there before them. And the fact is it should have been light bulbs should have been going off. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm saying this to say that if you and I were there, we'd have been done doing the same thing, but light bulbs should have been going off in their head is, Okay. No boat for him. He couldn't have walked around the shore because we would have seen him and we did not yet. He's here before us and he didn't get any, into any of the boats that we were in. So what actually happened here? But they don't ask that. 
when did you come here? Well, the fact is, it's kind of an, in, 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 I don't know. It's kind of an inane question at this point. Um, you, you would hope they'd be coming and say, master, please teach us more. Rabbi, please teach us more. But Jesus ignores their question. And I like the way he addressed this. And, and, and a number of the commentators that, that I looked at are like, notice he doesn't really answer their question. The fact is they already from the feeding of the 5,000 had tried to grab him and coronate him. We talked about the false coronation back then, coronate him and make him king because he's, he's the perfect nanny state at this point. I mean, not that he's going to be or wants to be, or that's his purpose to be, but they're thinking, dude, he can feed us and he can heal us. We're golden. We are good. We can sit there. We can let our sheep die. We cannot take care of our crops. It doesn't matter. He's going to feed us and he's going to, and he's going to um, heal us. And the fact is because he's got all these miracles, he can kick the, you know what, out of the Romans and we'll be good. So they want to coronate him. Well, that, that's not the purpose. They're missing the point of his teachings, obviously. Um, they're more caught up on their own nationalistic pride and all of that. So think about it. Is he really going to tell them that he just walked on water? He just completely violated. I mean, it was, it was the one thing. And I mean, honestly, both of them are just as amazing. But hey, he made that bread so much more than it was at the start and fed fifteen to 20,000 people. But then he violated the laws of nature. He violated the laws of physics and walked on water across the sea through the storm and made the storm die. Think of how they would have responded if he'd have told them that. So I, many of the commentators I ran across are like, yeah, he's not going to tell them that specifically because he knows exactly how they're going to respond. And that's not the point. This is not the time, nor is this the way that any of this is going to happen. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, one of them. And I, I think it was, um, MacArthur and his commentary was like, or maybe it was Sproul. No, it was maybe Sproul the way he said it. Um, and I'm paraphrasing this. Okay. Um, was like, yeah, fine. Yeah. You, you like me as King because I do all these things and that's great. And you want to follow me because of that. But will you follow me through the trials I'm going to face? Will you follow me to the cross? Will you take up your cross and be crucified upon it? You know, I mean, it's really at that point. So he doesn't even bring that up to them. But but that's the approach that, that you can see that in his response here. And of course, he knows their hearts, but you see his response. And of course, he starts that response in verse 26. Jesus answered, answered them and said, truly, truly, there, there's that truly, truly again. What I'm about to say is the truth of God, and you need to listen to it and take it down and, and engrave it on your heart. So he goes on, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. At this point, they've even gone beyond where they were amazed at, at, at the miracles, which would be understandable. But if they're amazed at the miracles, maybe, they, maybe they're starting to have a softening of the heart. Um, and, and I don't mean, I hope you understand what I mean by that, a, a biblical softening of the heart where it's not as hard and they're starting to understand where Christ is coming from and, and what God is trying to tell us through Christ. Um, but he even calls them out on that. You, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, so they've gone past that, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He's calling them out on the fact that they're coming for him, like, like I just said, they're coming to him for a free breakfast. 
They're coming to him for free food. They want another freebie. And again, they're looking for, and, and, uh, and honestly, it's not meant metaphorically because this is explicitly what happened, but it would also apply in a general sense. I, and, I, and I truly think Jesus is saying this in a general sense. You're seeking for the worldly. You're seeking for me. While I've done these amazing miracles, you're not hearing the spiritual part of this. You're so focused on filling your bellies. You're so focused on clothing your bodies. You're so focused on bringing yourself a life of ease. So again, like I said, they're looking for somebody to provide them a nanny state, somebody to take care of them so that they no longer have to put in the effort to live through each day. Um, Leon Morris and um, MacArthur quotes him in his commentary, made the statement, they were moved not by full hearts, but by full bellies. And I, that, that epitomizes it in a single statement. They're moved by full bellies, not full hearts. Their, their hearts are too hard to be filled by that. They're so caught up on the worldly and the fleshly. And of course, we say that about the crowd. But how often is that you and me? How often is that you and me? Verse 27, Jesus goes on. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God set his seal. He's saying to them they need to be searching for that food which provides for eternal life, the bread of life. They need to be looking for that, that edification and shaping and grace and faith which is given by Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God. That's what they need to be looking for, not for the temporal, not, not for the food. You know, and yes, he's explicitly talking about food here. That's not, that's not metaphorical. But it still has a grander application, both for them and for us, that we're not we're, we're not supposed to be working for. And, and he's not saying, don't keep a roof over your head. Don't don't you know, don't pay your bills. Don't. He's not saying any of that. And he's not saying don't think about that stuff. And he's not saying don't take care of that stuff and be responsible for that stuff, not to them or to us. But what he is saying is that can't be your only focus or even necessarily your primary focus. What needs to be our primary focus, what needed to be theirs, was they've got to be working for the food which endures to eternal life, that which comes from the Son of Man. And again, that's that's his final point, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God set his seal. God had given, and he's making clear here, God has given him the authority, has given the authority for the Son of Man to give the spiritual food that, as John MacArthur says, satisfies the hunger for righteousness. That's what they've got to be working for. That's what we've got to be working for. This should speak directly to us just as it does to them. And again, it's not just about food. It's not just about loaves and fishes. Yes, he is explicitly addressing that. Don't get me wrong. Again, I'm not saying that Jesus is making a metaphor here. He's directly addressing it and using the context they're in where he just fed them the loaves and the fishes. So that's why he's using this context to make a very good point. One, they don't need to be hunting after, after that bread. He has to do that with the, with the, with the uh, disciples or the apostles, the 12 apostles later, um, when they're talking about, um, he, he tells them to be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're sitting, they're talking about the fact that they forgot to bring bread and they get caught up on the temporal, not the spiritual. And he has to call them out on it. 
But again, Jesus has, has instructed them on what they should be searching for, what they should be working for, and what we should be. But their response back makes so clear that they're just not getting it. Therefore, they said to him, what should we do so that we may work the works of God? It's really easy to read that and go, okay, they're starting to get it. No, they're not. Their religious system is so false and so warped. They think they have to do something for this spiritual food Jesus speaks of. They think there is a task they have to do to qualify them for the food Jesus provides. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes have so twisted what God had given the Israel people of Israel, the sons of Israel, have so twisted it that they are absolutely certain there's one more thing they've got to do to do the works of God, to achieve that spiritual place that, that, that Jesus is talking about, to, to take in that spiritual food. And believe me, that's you and I. We always want someone to tell to tell us what I, we can do to fix things, what we can do that next step to get us there. We always want to look for something we can do. That's why it is so hard for us to accept that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Nothing that we do, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that there's nothing we can do. It has nothing to do with us. It is from God alone and they're not they, they're not grasping that he's saying that he's going to give it to them which the son of man will give to you he's not saying he, he makes no reference to i'll give to you if you meet this criteria he's saying nothing like that and they're still not getting it these works and 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 again that's you and i that's this society we are so busy trying to find that next thing, that next top ten checklist of the 10 things we need to do to be a better person or a better Christian. I even ran across with somebody out on, on Facebook, somebody responding to something I posted and trying to get across. It's not about being a good person. There's no anything being a good person. It's about having a saving faith in Christ. The rest of it doesn't matter. We can be good person right into hell. And that's what, in this case, there's no steps you can take. The son of man will give it to you. So Jesus answers them in verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now he refers to it as a work of God because he's addressing it the way they were addressing it. But he states clearly that you believe in him whom he has sent. Again, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. It's not through any works that we can do. It's a gift of God. Jesus is laying out, out that clearly in this verse. He's telling them to believe in him, to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in the son of God, to believe in the son of man. That's all that's required. That's all that's required. And if they do it, honestly, it's not going to be them that's doing it. It's going to be the Holy Spirit working in them and giving them a heart of flesh and regenerating them and giving them the ability to believe. And that's what he's telling them there. Again, it, it, it makes me think of the rich, the rich young ruler who came and what do I need to do to get in this kingdom of heaven? And he runs down the list and he goes, well, I've done this, 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 that. Okay, I've done all those. What more? Sell all your goods. Well, can't do it. 
but he was looking for that one more thing. He wasn't understanding that it was all from God. And that's not the only time. There's another time when one of the other Pharisees kind of does the same kind of thing. Um, What needed to be done? We always want to do that. And I'm sorry, I'm going to upset people. The Catholic faith is like that with, with, with all of its um, ordinances, all of the things you have to do to earn your way, at least into purgatory before you may get a chance to go to heaven. All of that false, honestly, but they so badly want to put you back under the law. I'm sorry, the Hebrew roots movement. Um, that that has sprung up claiming to be Christian, that wants to put you back under the Mosaic Covenant, uh, the Mormon Church that wants you pa- back under works, Islam wants to put you back under works. Jesus Christ freed us of those works. Jesus Christ satisfied the Mosaic Covenant. There are no more works. D- doesn't mean that your faith should be empty of works, but those works will be an outflowing of the faith and love and obedience you have in Christ and for Christ. But there's no works we can do. But what we need to see in this is, is just like this, this fickle crowd, we chase after the word worldly. We pray for God to help us in regards to our worldly needs. And, and yeah, we're told to bring them to him. But when 99% of our prayers are about, oh God, help me get this job. Oh God, help, help me help my car to work. Or, oh God, help me to get another one. Or, oh God, help me to take care of the mortgage. Or, you know, and it's all of that. Um, and, and that's it. And we, and, and our prayer life is not about Lord, please shape me into the Christian man or Christian woman. I'm supposed to be Lord, please help me to take and mortify all of my sins at the foot of the cross, not hang on to any of them, even the favorites and any of that to mortify them all and to truly turn away 180 degrees and walk away in true repentance. Lord, help me to be that example, be that witness to Christ in this world. Those aren't our prayers. I'm, I'm sorry that I mean, that should be over 50% of our prayers, if not more, but it's not, nor were it for these people. And that's what we're seeing there. It's all about the fishes and loaves. It's all about getting the free meal. It's all about take care of me temporally and I'll be okay. It's easy. It's easy to be a good Christian when everything's going right. When, when the poo poo hits the fan, that's when it's hard, but that's when we need to be praying for the spiritual, the most, not the physical, not the temporal. We have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And we don't. We don't, they didn't, and we don't, we get caught up in looking for that one special thing that will just make everything else work. And like I said, we're like that rich young ruler looking for that one more thing we needed to do to get to heaven. And the only thing that, that it is the only thing that matters is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And as John 20, 31 says, so that in believing we would have life in his name. And that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit as directed by God and provided for by the death and resurrection of Christ. Has nothing to do with us. Even the ability to believe is given to us. And that's what the son of man was saying here. 
when he said, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God set his seal. And then he finished up there. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you believe in him? Do you truly believe in him? If not, it's urgent. It is urgent. We don't know whether we have the next day or not. We really don't, especially in the world we're in right now. We don't know whether we have the next day or not. And your salvation is critical. So I would beg you to hit your knees and to beg for forgiveness and beg God to send the Holy Spirit to do a mighty, mighty work in you. All right. We're going to go ahead and close out this evening with our fourth day evening prayer like we usually do. It's called God All Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness sorry, that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I, I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope the time together has been edifying for you. Again, I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. God bless.